0: This is Stigma, where we talk with leaders from many industries about how mental health and addiction have impacted their lives. Many people suffer silently from mental illness, addiction, depression, anxiety, and trauma. They never seek help because of stigma. In this podcast, host Stephen Hayes and his guests share their stories of recovery in order to encourage
1: others to do the same. Here's Stephen. Welcome to another episode of the Stigma Podcast. Today's guest is Clay Cockrell. Clay is a psychotherapist. He's been covered broadly by a number of media outlets, CNN, Wall Street Journal, New York Times for his unique approach of walking therapy sessions. He's really passionate about helping people navigate the complicated world of accessing mental health care. He has spent his entire career focused on making therapy convenient, and to that end, he created a site called the Online Counseling Directory, which connects qualified psychotherapists and life coaches with clients all over the world. He's the founder of Walk and Talk Therapy in New York City, which I will talk about here in a little bit. And Clay is also the host of a podcast called Finding Therapy, where he takes listeners through sort of a step-by-step process of finding the right therapist. And he has another podcast called the Online Counseling Podcast, where he educates therapists on ethical and effective ways to use technology in connection with their clients. There's a bunch of ways to get in touch with him. I will list all of those and link them in the show notes. But without further ado, uh, Clay, thank you for coming on, man. I really appreciate
0: it. Thank you, Stephen. I'm really excited to talk to you.
1: Yeah, I've been looking forward to this conversation and I think to sort of set the stage uh, or a framework here uh, for our listeners is I, I just wanted to see if you could maybe walk me through why you decided to become a therapist and how you how you ended up in that that career path.
0: Sure. I've always been attracted to a story about how our story about ourselves and our history impacts us and I just I guess I was always a good listener and I just loved being able to connect with another human being. And as we talk about our stories and how we've been impacted by life, that we can begin to change that and maybe rewrite our future and maybe even rewrite the understanding of our history.
1: So can you tell me a little bit about the walk and talk therapy business that you you run in New York City?
0: Well, I was born and raised in Kentucky, and my wife is an actress, so we moved to New York, and I started just a small little practice here in Manhattan, and I was fairly successful, but noticed that a lot of the people that I I was seeing was having a really hard time getting to me, taking off work, traveling up to my office, having a session. So the idea was if we could make therapy convenient and make it accessible that people could, you know, participate in it and not be so stressed. And, you know, New Yorkers, were all, you know, (laughs) stressed. (laughs) It's just part of the DNA. Right, right. So I had this one guy, he was a Wall Street guy and had a really hard time coming to see me. And, And my wife came up with this idea. She says, why don't you go to him? And I said, you know, honey, that's, you can't do that. That's just not the way it's done. But as I tried to explain why I couldn't, it didn't make any sense. I mean, it's like, you know, why not? Why not have a session down near his office? We could walk around Battery Park and have the session outside. And I offered it to him. He jumped on it. And I just noticed that as we did this, as we walked during our sessions, we he was able to connect more, he was able to concentrate more, and it just was really effective. So I started offering it to a lot of you know, my clients, I, I got the domain name and I just really began to believe in the idea. If we could make therapy convenient and do it in a different way, a lot of, particularly men, could participate in it in a, in a really positive way. So that's where the, the walk and talk. And then as technology got to be available to where you could have a session like like Skype or some of these other you know, online platforms, like, well, let's, let's offer it this way, make it super convenient. So I've got clients that might be traveling and they're in a hotel room in you know Phoenix or uh, expats living in Dubai and I'm able to connect with them and have a session online and it's just like having a session you know in my office I see them I hear them and uh, it makes it you know again super convenient
1: yeah you know, walking and talking this is interesting because uh, a while back I, I had a little post a comment that I made just flippantly on a social media site where I said that I'm tired of meeting in offices. I'm tired of meeting over drinks. I think I'm going to take all my meetings uh, over walks. And I was just blown away at the amount of response I got. And, you know, I, I was kind of, kind of curious. I mean, is there, seems like there might be some connectivity between my brain working better walking than when I just sit in an office and stare at somebody.
0: Oh, yeah, absolutely. That's what I've seen. I mean, it, it, you're, you're standing up, you're moving your body, which I think is, you know, if you want to get into a little depth, it, it, it's a metaphor for, for moving forward in your life, you're, you're doing something. And, and I like to say that there are shower people, and bath people. And I never understood the bath people. Because to me, you're just kind of sitting in your own filth, <laughs> and and I I think that you know you go in and you sit in an office, you're just you're just sitting there and you're not doing anything, but you're walking, you're you're standing up straight, you're breathing a little deeper. I mean, this is not a a cardio workout by by any means, but but you're doing something, so your your heart rate's a little faster, and it's certainly much more casual. And, and the other thing is that, you know, and and again, I work a lot with men, but with anybody, I think eye contact can be difficult when you're talking about sensitive, hard to discuss topics. And with walking, you're looking straight ahead. I mean, we casually glance to the side and make some eye contact, but it's not this intense. I'm staring into your eyes and telling you my deepest, darkest secrets. It's, it's a little bit more casual and and people, I think less threatening Mm. to do it that way.
1: But you still get the vulnerability of being in person, which is kind of cool i like I like that because I can see sitting on my therapist's couch and staring at him and just getting confused like oh do i do I say this? do I say that? But walking, it's almost like maybe the subconscious takes over a little bit while walking and answers some of the questions like you might maybe you're maybe you're more truthful with your therapist when walking. I don't know.
0: I think so. I think so it's um you're you're thinking outside the box sometimes uh, you're letting your environment uh, change and being impacted by that. So yeah, I th- I, th- I think it's. An, a, I'm a huge advocate, and and I think it's really effective.
1: You mentioned men in particular twice. <laughs> I'm seeing this topic a lot, right? Like I'm digging around in the mental health space for a while now, and I'm I'm seeing a lot of people talk about men specifically. What what's going on with with the guys out there and their and their mental health and their willingness to get help?
0: I think that men are resistant sometimes. To um, to talking about emotions, we're doers, and again, this is all in general, right? But I think that the the idea is that men are action oriented and not necessarily willing to sit down and reflect. And and I, I don't know if that's that's true or not. I, I get calls all the time from wives who say, you know, I, I want to go into couples counseling, but my husband he's he's resistant, and and as soon as we get into the room all three of us, I can't shut him up. (laughs) He's he's nonstop talking because somebody is finally listening. So I I don't know, but I I think that men are, I don't know if it doesn't seem masculine to go to a therapist, but I think that more and more men are recognizing the value of psychotherapy, of reflecting, of of living with intention, of uh, trying to create a life that is, you know, outside the box and is fulfilling because, you know, a lot of times we're not able to meet this, this ideal of, of masculinity. So uh, I think more and more men are beginning to access mental health care and and thank God.
1: What is this sort of idea of masculinity and why does it keep men from, from seeking help?
0: Media. (laughs) John Wayne. <laughs> uh, just uh, be strong. Be quiet. If if you show your emotions, uh, you're you're too vulnerable. You're not masculine, and and it's just a, a paradigm that doesn't work. We we are complex beings, men and women, and and I think that we have to to be in touch with that internal world, or we just let life pass our pass us by, and we we really didn't live with intention. We just kind of. Tried to follow this template of, of what a, a man should be.
1: What's causing men to see value or what causes a man to see value in opening up and being vulnerable to the point where they're willing to make that decision to you know, get over the stigma and, and come in and, and see you for the first time or go for a walk for the first time? desperation, pain,
0: pain <laughs> a right? lot of times, pain. you hit the bottom. You're like, I can't do this on my own. This, whatever I'm doing is not working.
1: Is that who's coming in? Is it people that, that hit bottom in some way, whether it's addiction or uh, some sort of psychosis or some sort of just unmanageable state of in their life? Is that who's normally coming in for the first yeah, time? Yeah,
0: a lot. Now it, I'm getting a lot of people who are, are a little bit more open. Maybe have been in therapy before. They know the value of it. I think that the uh, there's a lot of change now in in the idea of getting mental health care. It doesn't have as much stigma. There's been you know some changes in television shows and whatever that uh, maybe they can participate in it and it's not so scary. But a lot of times it's just getting to the point in your life thinking this isn't working, me trying to figure it out on my own, me reading every self-help book that comes down the pike, I need some outside person to to connect with, maybe guide me through the process.
1: Yeah. I, I have this personal view of self-help books, and this could be really misguided, but I don't really understand them at all. I think they might be all a waste because if I'm the broken thing and I'm reading a book about how to fix me, how does the broken thing fix the broken <laughs> exactly. thing? got... Like I just don't get it.
0: (laughs) Exactly. Yeah, I hear you.
1: So I I highly value uh, my therapist and the time we spend together. I also highly value a lot of the support groups I'm a part of. I mean, I attend AA. I go to a couple of other 12-step groups. Uh, My therapist has me in a a small group uh, that he's cultivated. Um, I find community at church and other places as well. Uh, What do you – do you recommend that your guys find community – uh, outside of outside of just your meetings, and, and where do you think that they usually go to find it?
0: Oh, absolutely, I recommend that. And twelve uh, step groups are—I mean, they've been around for decades, and we know they work. We know that being in a room with other people is inspiring; it, it ups your game. And you know, I, I keep going back to the the quote that we are the average of the five people we spend the most time with. And if we surround ourselves with people who are low quality, low ethics, not doing anything with their lives, we will sink to that level. But if we surround ourselves with people who care about us, who have ambition and humor and live on a higher level, we just rise to their level. So I think it's important for us to to create that community. And And too many times, especially in what I'm seeing in New York, we've got millions of people, but everybody's lonely. You don't know how to connect. And, and in this day and age, you know, church has gone the wayside for so many people or you know, community groups. I tell people, find a group that inspires you, that you want to participate in, whether it's politics or volunteerism or a, a book club, just anything to be with other people. You've got to have some kind of uh connection in your life because the isolation thing is 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 not going to be helpful,
1: yeah yeah I think isolation is is really dangerous and I read a lot about that as well and I've seen a lot uh, a lot of conversation about it so yeah, I agree with that and sort of moving in a different direction, I saw one of the topics that you covered in one of your podcasts or maybe it was on your website is when and how therapists use technology when helping clients I was just kind of curious like what what technologies do you think are helpful when you're you know working with your your patients or your clients
0: well there's there's several i i like using some of the meditation apps that are out there it's kind of a gateway drug to meditation it it shows people the value of sitting and and being quiet and and letting the brain heal itself uh, calm.com uh headspace is another one Uh, there's free versions and, you know, do the paid version. It's really cheap. So that's, that's a great technology, but to use technology, just to connect with a client, I, in my industry in in psychotherapy, we're behind the times. Many times I, I, I talk to therapists all the time who don't have a website who, you know, don't know how to, to market their practice. And I'm, I'm a big advocate of using technology like online counseling uh, which is is video chat it's uh, connecting with a, a client through video and audio and and having a session online again, it makes it convenient it's safe there's encrypted um, platforms but a lot of the therapists out there are are reluctant to use that technology they think it's going to to change the session and and it is it is different some for good and bad um, some of the sessions that I have, uh, people are incredibly comfortable, um, they're in their own home, they're in their sock feet, sitting on their own couch, and it allows them to participate in therapy in a really comfortable way. And, and they don't have to deal with parking. <laughs> so I'm, I'm, I'm telling therapists, like, you know, this is the way, in five years, that's what therapy is going to be, is, is online. And so we need to do it ethically, we need to know how to connect uh, or through a computer screen, because uh, I think it, it can be an, an art and a science to that to make eye contact there are some legal things that we have to be aware of with the in the US regarding HIPAA laws and using encrypted platforms and making sure that we're licensed because that's a big you know state licensure is a big issue for psychotherapists we have to only see clients that we're licensed to see. So th- there's a lot of questions that I'm, I'm trying to answer those and guide therapists to, to to be more comfortable and, and, and to risk using technology to connect with their clients.
1: Yeah, that's that's pretty interesting around the the legal part. What what are the what are the laws or rules or maybe better? You mentioned the word ethical. What's ethical or unethical around uh, you know treating somebody remotely?
0: Well. One is that you want to make sure that they, the client, is is suitable for uh, online counseling. Uh, for example, if I'm seeing someone who may or may not be suicidal, who uh, may or may not have some um, psychosis, uh, some some hallucinations going on, a severe level of of um, struggles, they may not be suitable for online counseling. But generally, everyone else is. And and then when it gets to the legal aspect, uh, here in the United States, our, our laws are trying to catch up to the technology so that we can only see clients who were licensed to see. So I'm I'm licensed in the state of New York. Anybody in the entire state of New York, I can see them through online counseling. But if somebody from uh, Tennessee calls me, I'm not licensed in Tennessee. So technically, I can't. See them now. We've got to change that because my driver's license, I can drive all over the country, but my psychotherapy license, it's just good for here in New York.
1: Why is the law that way? Is it meant to protect someone, and should it, or can it change?
0: Yeah, I'm, we're, we're, there's a lot of work being done to change that. It was built that each state wanted to protect their uh, citizens, so that only people who have a certain level of education and training and experience can get a license and they have to and then you know if you look at it a certain way uh, licensing boards get money from the people that they license so if the licensing boards go away they're not going to get my yearly fee or my continuing education credits and so they're reluctant to give all that up but it's interesting you know outside the us this really isn't an issue so you know i've got clients in dubai and london and tokyo i've got no problem i can see them But if somebody from Alabama or Washington calls me, nope, I'm I'm not licensed to see them. It's really, it's really backward. That is
1: backward. What has to change? I mean, what has to happen? I don't know. Do you have to go to every state and get them to accept every other state or is there a federal... Policy that should be put in place. What is the political landscape if you have any insight into it around trying to get that fixed?
0: I I, I think it it has to be a, a federal issue. There are some states that are coming together and creating what's reciprocity because there's not enough mental health workers in North Dakota and Alabama and you know some of these smaller population states. They're desperate for a good quality mental health care, so they're saying we're going to open up our uh, licensing issue and if you are part of this consortium of five six seven states then you can go across state lines uh, so so that's in the works but also I think uh, portability on a federal level is coming down the pike but you know technology moves so fast just just you know ten years ago we weren't even talking about this because it wasn't an issue uh, okay. but now now we've got the technology and and people have got to catch up
1: one thing about technology that I see comes up for me or that I read about or maybe hear about sometimes is that sometimes if you're communicating through certain mediums, you might r- limit the level of vulnerability in the conversation. Mm-hmm. Do you find that to be an issue with, with the communicating with a client over you know, a, a video chat or a, a phone call?
0: I've not seen it. I've not seen it. In fact, I would I would say the opposite. I, I would say the opposite because there's so many people who are much more comfortable in their environment in their office, in their basement home, you know th- that they they are more vulnerable than sitting in a doctor's office, which is kind of contrived and foreign and maybe uncomfortable so yeah i've I've seen the opposite.
1: That's great. I I agree. I mean, I I think there's a lot of supply of therapy in some places, but not in others. I think there's demand for it in some places and not others. And I think maybe creating an efficient market across supply and demand would uh, get a lot more people getting help. Um, It would also facilitate a lot of therapists making more money, maybe being able to charge less. I just feel like digital connection and digital treatment uh, maybe maybe healthy for everybody on both sides of the equation, both those making a living doing it and those who need the help.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And and really, that's the, the whole reason I uh, started the directory because there wasn't any place online that if you were looking for a therapist that would connect with you online, like a like a Skype, for lack of a better word, but a Skype session, there was no place to go look. And so I created this uh, this directory where a therapist uh, can list their practice tell people a little bit about themselves, upload a picture, talk about their approaches and uh, specialties. And then you can go there and search and go, okay, I want to talk to uh, a woman who specializes in depression and has experience with you know trauma, all these different filters. And it spits out all these names going, you know, start, start here. Here's some people who do that.
1: And that's the online counseling directory. Is that right? Right. So, when, when did you create
0: that? Uh, I think we're coming up on four years.
1: Wow. Okay. And so, that's kind of a place where what, I guess I would go to find a therapist. Is that how you would call it? Yep. Or how you would describe it? Yep. And there, I think there's quite a few places to go out there to search for a therapist. And I, I'm in the startup space uh, and, and I see a lot of startups being built around what I would call in quotes, find a therapist. How does The online counseling directory sort of differentiate itself, or do you do you attempt to? Like, what's your sort of positioning of uh, within that find a therapist space, if you will?
0: Well, we make sure that we kind of do the work for people. We we investigate their license. We make sure that they are trained and educated. You have to have a certain level of of experience and education in order to list your practice on the directory. We do a lot of education to those members on how to do counseling ethically and appropriately and effectively. And uh, so, we we differentiate ourselves that way. But also, we have, I think this is unique in the space, is that we're the only place where you can search by state. And so, that reduces that or takes away that issue of, I found this great therapist, but she's not in my state. So, she can't see me. So, you're not going to see those therapists. You're only going to be able to search for therapists that are actually licensed To see you, and and the other thing is that we um, are global. We've got it's kind of a weird thing that in the English language, the word counseling outside the U.S. is spelled with two L's. Here in the U.S., it's spelled with one L. So we've got both domain names of online counseling, and we've got therapists listed all over the world. And so, if you prefer to, you know, find somebody who's Japanese speaking. And has cultural history and lives in Japan, and well, you'll be able to find it at the directory. So, oh wow, we've got a lot of options for you to to start your start your search.
1: Is this website is it a is it a business or a nonprofit or how does it sort of? Go to market?
0: It's a business. And uh, we used to get our income from charging therapists a a small monthly fee, like a subscription to list their practices. But recently, we've also partnered with the number one online uh, therapy company, I guess, in the world, certainly in the US, is BetterHelp. And so we're partnering with BetterHelp and we're getting income that they are listing their therapists on the directory. So we've got an affiliate program with them.
1: Yeah, I, I noticed that on the website. I was going to ask, you know, what, how, how do you partner with them? So, yeah, I, I noticed that.
0: Yeah, and, and I, I did a lot of investigation into to who they are, and, and I like their approach. I, I think that they, they offer a, a great product, for lack of a better word, at a low cost. So on my directory, you can search for the BetterHelp people, And and go through that program, or you can uh, search for people who are private practitioners like myself, who are outside of any kind of corporate therapy organization and are, you know, uh, they've got their own shingle hanging out.
1: Got it. And how do people find you? I mean, do you, is it mostly just people type into Google, I need a therapist and you guys have good SEO or what's the main driver of how people come to you?
0: Uh, Pretty much is is through Google through uh, SEO. Um, Where we got dinged last March because they had an update to Google. We used to be uh, number one. Um, We were beating out Talkspace and BetterHelp regularly on page one, and then they updated their algorithm and we sunk a few uh, slots. But we're we're scraping our way back up.
1: (laughs) That's great. That's great. Is how much time do you sort of put into the this directory versus you know. To treating patients yourself? I guess where I'm going is, is you know, building something like this a full-time thing or is it supplemental to what you're doing or how much of a focus is, is it for you?
0: It's about half and half. I'm seeing a lot of clients that are about half my time. Uh, and then like the other half, I'm working on SEO, writing articles, doing my podcast. So I try to squeeze clients in in the mornings and then late evenings. And then during the other days other hours i'm i'm working on the on the directory got it
1: and what do you what do you want to do with it i mean is this something that you just just operate into perpetuity and you know it, it, it provides a little bit of income for you or is this something that you want to grow like a tech startup and scale it and maybe sell it to someone one day what's the what's the goal with it
0: oh all those sounds really good all right <laughs> right now it's just it started out as a little hobby and it was a, a way for me to kind of help the industry. And I had a lot of knowledge, and so I thought, you know, I'm going to pass this along. And it's gotten to a point to where now it kind of runs on itself. I have a, a virtual assistant that works on uh, checking all uh, the therapists and making sure things are running really well. And, and I think it's, it's fun. I don't know where it's going to go for right now. I think that mental health care is, is changing quite a bit. I just read the other day that Amazon – is getting ready to jump into the mental health care field and the online counseling. And I don't know how they're going to do that, but they definitely disrupt any industry they enter in. So That's who right. knows what they're going to do?
1: Yeah, I saw a startup. Uh, I know the founder actually that, It built a a platform where you can ask alexa for therapy or for help on a certain topic and then a therapist will connect with you over alexa and then once you've established that you're going to actually you know do some work with that person then they call you over the phone
0: wow because you know
1: obviously alexa is not an encrypted end-to-end platform so you can't do therapy over it
0: (laughs) (laughs) that's fascinating see i mean that's so cool and people who may not I mean, some therapists would think that it's is, is threatening and, and not real therapy. And I'm looking at this, like, how cool that somebody who is struggling at a moment's notice could get a little bit of guidance and a couple of steps to going through the process of entering into counseling and, and, and changing their lives. That's that's beautiful.
1: And that's kind of the thought with that business is that, you know, the what's been successful for, for decades or for many years has been the suicide prevention hotline. People yeah. call it. I mean, it gets, it's always busy. I mean, for better or for worse. And, you know, it's, I think it's the access, it's always available. And since access is such a problem in the mental health space, you know, just, you know, anybody who has access to just say, Hey Siri, Hey Alexa, Hey, whoever I'm struggling right now, that, that, that could be a pretty interesting tool.
0: Oh, it's a game changer. That's, that's great. I hope that that takes off.
1: So you mentioned also your your podcast, and I know you have two of them. I'd love to just kind of hear your description of, of what they are and, and, you know, what what you're trying to do with them. I, I know they're both listed on your website, and, you know, one is called Finding Therapy, and one is the Online Counseling Podcast, and I think you have sort of different audiences for both, but I'd love to mm-hmm. hear you describe them kind of in your own words.
0: Sure. The The Online Counseling Podcast is the oldest one, and, you know, like I, I said, the the People in my industry, the psychotherapists, had all sorts of questions about how to do online counseling. And um, it's, it's interesting. My, my wife and I, uh, there's a, a huge conference every year in, in D.C. of, of psychotherapists. And, and I just created this directory and launched the website. And, and I said to my wife, I said, let's go down there. We'll get a booth. We'll be a vendor. And we'll get all these therapists to sign up. And, uh, uh, you know, be online counselors. So we go down there. I'd never been a vendor before for anything, get the booth and pay all this money and have a great banner. And, um, they're getting ready to open the vendor hall because these therapists are in sessions and, and conferences all day long. And, and the, the lecture just before they opened the vendor hall was the dangers of online counseling. <laughs> And so, wow. all these therapists had just looked at all the the negative aspects and the dangerous aspects of this. And, and then they opened the doors and there I am with my smiling face going, oh come God. be an online counselor.
1: What are the dangers though? Like, I'm now kind of curious.
0: <laughs> uh, it, it was all this thing, you know, you, you can't use Skype and you can't use FaceTime because they're not encrypted. And, Encryption. And, you know, yeah. all the legal aspects you can't do. your. I think we talked about the state stuff. It's easy stuff to to figure out. But there was a lot of fear-mongering about it. So anyway, so I started this podcast going, you know, here's how to do it. And I went and I interviewed lawyers and experts and encryption platforms and all these these great ways to to market online counselors and just really as an educational tool to other therapists about how do how to do online counseling well. And and that was fun, you know. Um, uh, but the the new podcast is finding therapy. So everything we've been talking about, you know, people coming to the idea of finally I need therapy. I need to talk to somebody. I need to access mental health care. And they finally make this decision. Then they're faced with this daunting process of finding the right therapist. I mean, where do you go? Where do you go and find the right therapist for you? Do you just, do you go to Yelp? Do you go to Google? Um, a lot of people aren't comfortable in asking their friends or even their doctors. So I've created this podcast to give you a step-by-step guide. This is how you do it. And first, just to embrace the idea that you're shopping. You you are shopping and you've got to advocate for yourself, look into if this is the right uh, connection for you. Here, I give people ideas of where to look, uh, different directories, not just mine, but other directories to look and then how to look at a profile of a therapist and read it, what's in between the lines. How do I evaluate this? And then when I make the call uh, to set up an appointment to do a consult, what questions do I ask? So, and you know, as we go forward, I'm going to go into talk different experts. Like we we've interviewed an anger management specialist. And so that episode is going to be, how do you find a therapy, a therapist for anger issues? And I've interviewed this uh, woman who specializes in uh, recovering from high conflict divorce, so, you know, how do you find a therapist when you're going through a divorce? So, we're going to go through all sorts of different populations and be really specific. But the first four episodes are just the step-by-step, nuts and bolts, real simple guide. How do you get started?
1: You mentioned specialty, which brought up a, a quick thought for me. You know, if I go see a specialty therapist, it, it seems like maybe at some point I would I would graduate from them. Do people tend to stick with the same therapist for forever like a... Uh, Well, not forever, but for a long time, like a primary care physician or do people change therapists regularly? What does that look like?
0: That's a great question. I I think it depends. Uh, I've got clients that I've seen for years because they love the process. They love the process of coming. I know their history. I know them. I know what they're struggling with. But I think most of my clients come to me for a thing an issue. I'm struggling with my wife. I can't get along with my boss. I am scared of spiders. I don't know. Right. It's, it's one thing. We work on that and hopefully they get better and they move on. And I think that's a majority of people who access mental health care. Instead of this on and on and on for the rest of my life, I'm going to be going weekly and talking to this guy. It's I'm going to go here learn some tools, understand how this thing happened in my life, learn some tools to combat it, get better and, and move on. So, and and I think, you know, this idea of specialist, all therapists should be a specialist. They should specialize in a thing, whether it's anxiety or depression or phobias or whatever. And and they should see people around that issue. And And too many people that enter my field, just think that they can do all things for all people. And that's not really the case.
1: What about having multiple therapists? Is that a thing? I mean, I, I lately logged on to Talkspace. I have a therapist that I see in person, but I logged on to Talkspace and I've been like texting with this therapist and we just have different conversations and I kind of like it.
0: That's really, I think that that could work. My My concern on that is this idea of too many cooks in the kitchen and there are too many ideas going back and forth. But something like that where you're augmenting different types of therapy, like the texting and and having an online, and then you're also having a, a therapist in person, that sounds really cool. I've not heard that, but I could, I could see where it would work.
1: I hadn't heard of it either, but I was just curious about Talkspace, so I logged on, and I started texting with this therapist, and I have absolutely no – it's funny – You know how um, maybe me as a client or patient would describe my therapist as really good at pulling things out of me and, and sort of, Mm -hmm. you know, driving a conversation. And sometimes I go into my therapy session and I'm, I have an agenda. I want to talk about these five things or three things that I'm really upset about. So I have that person in person, but then with the talk space therapist, I just have kind of like, uh, whatever he brings up, we'll talk about. We'll see, see what happens. Oh,
0: that's (laughs) great. That's great. <laughs> no, that I, yeah, that's really cool.
1: A little, a little experiment. We'll see, see how it goes. Maybe a blog post will evolve out of this at some point. Yes. But, yes. but yeah, so, you know, we don't have a lot of time left. And one of the questions I like to ask really everybody, and it has to do with the, the title of the show, is around stigma. You know, I, I think it's probably stigma might be one of the largest reasons why people don't get help. I think most people on the planet need some sort of help with their mental health, whether it's just a a peer group or whether it's being vulnerable or whether it's therapy or whatever, maybe it's medication, who knows. Uh, But I, and I think most of those people are not getting help. And I think that one of the primary reasons is stigma. And I wanted to kind of get your thought on, you know, why is that? What can be done? How do we defeat stigma? You know, it's just such a big topic.
0: Oh my God. Yeah. It's, um, I agree. I think it's the the number one reason why people don't access mental health care. And, and I guess I could talk a little bit from the perspective of people who have, and what I'm hearing from them as they talk to their friends, they talk about, uh, when they talk about therapy to their family and friends, it's this spirit of, come on in, the water's warm. This is great. This is amazing. Why did I wait so long? And everybody else is really kind of concerned about how people view themselves or how they're being viewed, how they're being judged. Uh, People are going to think I'm crazy. First of all, there's great confidentiality, especially with it online. You're not going to be seen in the parking lot or the waiting room of your therapist's office if you're meeting a therapist online. But the other thing, I keep coming back to the the 20-40-60 rule, which as at age 20, we are very concerned about what people think about us, how we're being judged. At age 40, and this is where we get the midlife crisis, we don't care what people think about us anymore. We're going to do what we want with our lives. And there's this great sense of freedom. But age 60, we come to the idea of nobody's looking at me. Nobody's paying any attention. Everybody else is so absorbed with their own life. They don't have time to judge me. Now, if we could get there a little sooner... That's going to help remove this idea of stigma because it's all this fear of how people are seeing me and what label they're putting on me. And I hate to break it. I don't know if it's a good thing or a bad thing. People really aren't paying that much attention to you. So let's let go of that and embrace, you know, we only get one life. If you're struggling, it's time to go find somebody to help.
1: Yeah. How do we... Does sharing help reduce stigma? I mean, it's a thesis of mine, but I could be wrong. I think that in having people people share about their experience of recovery or their experience with therapy or their experience with mental health in whatever way, shape, or form that may be there's uh, people that hear it that go maybe i could get help or maybe i could share my story and then that sort of perpetuates itself and and there's been a lot of that going on lately especially with celebrities and politicians and i think mm-hmm. all those conversations compound on each other to to help reduce stigma
0: absolutely and and i i, I loud and proud i always say this is who i am loud and proud i've got this struggle i'm going to therapy i've got this addiction it's um It humanizes you. It is incredibly attractive, I think. And yeah, when you verbalize and you are loud and proud and this is who I am, uh, it reduces stigma in yourself and allows you to, to be authentic and to accept who you are. But it also allows other people to go, I wish I could be like that. I I don't, I, I want to be authentic and transparent and this is who I am. So it has a huge impact. Anytime somebody, celebrity or your guy next door says, you know, this, this is who I am. These are my struggles. These are my foibles. This is i I'm sorry, I got to run. I got a therapy appointment. It's, uh, It's. It, yeah, it, That's that's how we change things by one by one standing up and saying, you know, this is who I am.
1: Yeah, I, I agree. So um, that's the purpose of the podcast. That's the purpose of a lot of what I'm doing. And I, it's, it's great to hear you say that. And look, I, I'm really grateful that you came on today and, and spent time here. I think this conversation will be really helpful to a lot of people about how to find a therapist, what to expect from them. Um, what's the best yeah. way for people? I mean, I'm going to link your contact information and such in the show notes, but what's the best way for people to find you and to find the podcast?
0: Um, the, the podcast is, uh, at, at iTunes, it's a uh, finding therapy and, uh, you can go to onlinecounseling.com and you can uh, listen to the episodes there. And my email address is clay at That's
1: awesome. Look, I, I really appreciate you coming on and doing this. This is really meaningful. I think these conversations help people and I hope a lot of people find you because of this conversation and, I, I'm really grateful. So thank you. Thank you for doing this.
0: Absolutely. Thank you, Stephen. I am so impressed with everything you're doing and I want to support it in any way I can. Thank you.
1: So thank you, Clay, again, for coming on the show. I think this episode will be really helpful to a broad set of our listeners. And I hope that a lot of people will stop by your website uh, for finding a therapist. And we'll also check out your podcasts, which will, like I've said, be a couple of times will be linked in the show notes. And I want to remind our listeners that we really appreciate you. We appreciate your support. We love interacting with you. Uh, We would love it if you could leave a like or a a review of our show on whatever podcast platform you use. Um, But more importantly, we want to hear from you. Uh, Reach out to us on Twitter via at StigmaCast. You can reach out to us on our website at StigmaPodcast.com. And we want your feedback and we want to interact and we want to discuss these topics with you in real time. So please do contact us and thank you for listening.